0: With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. This is Locked and Loaded with Rick Munn on TNT.
1: Yep, indeed, it is Friday, the 9th of February, 2024. This is open. Uh, no, it's not open line. It was open line. It's now locked and loaded. TNT Radio. I'm a little factor in both of those shows, so please forgive me if my brains are semi-scrambled here uh, this lovely Friday morning in February. Still got plenty to come before the top of the hour, as you would expect. Would you expect anything less here on today's News Talk? I think not. Gemma Cooper's going to be talking to me. Harry Wilkinson from Net Zero Watch is going to be beaming in and making his uh, Locked and Loaded debut this morning. And of course, an old stalwart of the Locked and Loaded show, Johnny Weissman, will be joining me to round off the week. Little fact for you, Johnny only ever comes on on a Friday and he's been here with me since day or week one of TNT he was my Friday guest on my very first week of the show and he's been coming back periodically for the last 2 years sharing his research and his input he has a website called alltherisks.com uh, and Johnny will be rounding off the week with me here so I'm really looking forward to talking with him uh, if you haven't already done so download our app from the TNT or from the Google Play Store or the Apple Store TNT Radio we've got a website TNTradio.live you can check out what's on there. We've got a cinema function on there. Uh, we've got everything on there. We've got merchandise on there. Uh, we can you can contact all the presenters on there. There's dedicated email addresses. Leave thoughts, commit comments, suggestions, and opinions. If you got an idea for a guest that you would like to see on here, leave us a message and we will do our level best to get them on. So plenty to play for there with the uh, TNT website, tntradio.life. Make sure you check that one out. Uh, just having a look over what's happening in the world at the minute. As I try and do, we try and squeeze as much content into these hours as we possibly can. In Australia, uh, a federal MP has warned that banks will control your life. Federal MP saying this? If Australia turns into a cashless society after his money was rejected when buying lunch in Canberra's Parliament House. So even the the, uh, the government in Australia up in Canberra are having a hard time using cash in the old government facilities. They're being told, no, we don't accept cash. He got into a little bit of argy-bargy. Uh, Senator Catter here blows up over cash ban at Parliament House Cafe. So it's not just... Uh, you know the, the 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 rank and file that are going to be affected by this. When they say they want to bring in restrictions on cash, they're talking about bringing in for everybody everywhere. It cannot be uh, confined to certain people in certain pockets. They want to do away with cash altogether, if they can, and replace it with CBDCs, which will of course depend on the existence of digital IDs. So it's a way off. You know, it's not a it's not a done deal but it's something that they're relentlessly pushing for. And if there's one thing that you'll be uh, seeing a pattern in from all the guests that we have on here on our topics of discussion is these things do not happen overnight. These things are done over a long period of time with relentless pressure from globalists. They take two steps forward, then they take one step back to give people an idea that you know they're, they're backing off, then they'll take two steps forward, one step back the old totalitarian tiptoe in full force here and it's even reaching up to parliament buildings in canberra in australia as well so uh plenty more to play for here and remember keep using cash keep cash alive cash is king i'm seeing more little uh, cafes around where i am at the minute trend using independent cafes they have little signs up most of them now to say look we take cash on card but if you could we would really appreciate you using cash it helps us out so More and more small businesses are cutting onto this too, which is great to see. So we're going to pause briefly. Gemma's going to come in and we've got more news to discuss here on TNT, Today's News Talk. Keeping the commitment
0: 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: So, yeah, uh, something Gemma and I discuss a lot here is the supporting of local businesses. And uh, it's nice to see the shift going towards, uh, I do believe, more people are using cash at the minute, not less people. Uh, What do you think, Gemma?
2: Oh, my God, absolutely. It seems that we're in sync here on uh, Friday at TNT. Mm -hmm. Only a few hours ago, I was scrolling through some of my Telegram feeds. That's the only real social media I engage with these days uh, and on one of my local feeds I live on the as you know on the on the west coast to look out to Wales so I live on a mm. kind of seaside stretch of coastline that goes all the way down to the top of Devon and then into Cornwall you know mm. it's a, quite a prestigious part of the UK in terms of tourism and trade uh, and there was a, a feed uh, from a, a group in Western Supermare which is a big uh, coastal town it gets a lot of uh, tourists from Birmingham and just next to that is a town called Burnham slightly smaller but no less picturesque and very much reliant on tourism and a local local um, business there a cafe uh, has put a sign up saying cash only cashless completely cashless no cards mm-hmm. i think and it's garnered a huge amount of support and it's it's got the uh, attention of the local mainstream press who have gone in and done a quite a reasonably balanced uh, story On this because i think they sense the way the tide is going and and the acres and acres of support coming in for this business just just i literally read it this morning um coming in and i think the tide is shifting and when i go out now i um i have my rucksack on my back when i go to the local Mm. shops and i've got a big big badge which many people in the uk cash is king use it or lose it with Mm. a picture of a crown there uh, and a big white badge and it doesn't fail ever to generate talking points Mm. now and i was in a local stone supplier the other day because i'm having a bit of work down to my front garden and um, the guy behind the counter looked at my badge and he said, good for you. That's it. Yes, that's what we need. More people using cash. Everywhere in society, people are realizing the dangers Uh, and it's again, an indication of this shift, this tide is turning of like, hang on, we didn't ask for this, it's being imposed on us. It doesn't actually work for business at all, especially small business, it doesn't work for." you know, the economy as a whole. So why are we doing it? So in a way, Mm. it's kind of a red pill moment for so many people. But I I, I was getting suspicious stares maybe a year to 18 months ago with my little cash is king badge campaign. Now I'm getting a very positive reaction. So yeah, that is brilliant news
1: it's also goes to show you know uh, that's really cool what you're doing you're almost like a walking billboard for uh using cash predominantly using cash and it doesn't take a lot you know you don't even have to speak you can get yourself a little badge or you can get a t-shirt with something printed on it or you know a backpack customized cash is king it does generate talking points and when people start to talk amongst themselves uh, that's when we get actions and that's when we get results so that's brilliant Uh, what you're doing one thing i would say is as well though uh, i find the best businesses are the ones that politely how would i say this they politely request that it would be good for them if if you use cash but cards are acceptable some of the businesses that are going hardcore we take cash only i suppose I understand where they're coming from, but to me, sometimes you could be caught out. Maybe you just don't have any cash in your pocket. Maybe you have a debit card. Uh, you can't then shop and they're there negatively discriminating against you because remember, we're all up in arms if a business says we don't accept. Cash, But by the same time, uh, should we not also be saying, well, you know, OK, I would prefer to use cash. I get that you would prefer it, but you're refusing me service now because I don't have a, a tenner in my pocket. You know, that's too far the other way. But I think the ones that politely request, listen, you can use cash and card but we would prefer, we. it would help us, not we would prefer, it would help us greatly if you, I would always use cash in that or what am my way to get the cash? The people that are like the cash uh, fascists saying, no, we're not going to serve you if you don't have a tenner in your pocket. I think that's a little too far the other way as well. You know, you got to get a little bit, bit of balance, uh, but use cash wherever you can. What do you reckon?
2: I think it's because there was such a relentless push for cash less inevitably yeah. the pendulum swings the other way for a little bit where there'll be a kind of pushback, cash only actually yeah. you know if you're going to push cash, le- cash less while well, push cash only and then the balance will be found the fulcrum point the midpoint will be found and i think mm. we're not far off that given the reaction mm. I've, i'm finding as a middle-aged woman with my one like you say my one woman keep it cash campaign i'm by far from the only campaigner on keep it cash in the uk by the way but um yeah you know it's a bit like uh you just have to find that that midpoint and when there was such a relentless tide coming in from banks and other organ and the corporations cash less inevitably the cash only pushback will be just as strong until we settle down and find the midpoint which I, I hope will be soon I hope will be soon
1: the fulcrum point I haven't heard that word fulcrum used since it did physics uh, for GCSEs in school, that's the balancing point, you know, the fulcrum and all that. So yeah, lovely word, by the way, sometimes, uh, people use words that are really nice words and fulcrum, uh, is not one that you hear in everyday conversation. So fair play to you for expanding our, uh, knowledge of the English language here as a byproduct of the other things that you do, uh, on TNT gem. And of course, we've got another story here to cover, uh, met place routinely victim blame abused children says a watchdog detectives and kids, uh, said kids were promiscuous and so on and so forth. Hell's bells, is there no depths to which some of the people that are working to the Met Police will not uh, sink to?
2: Well, I didn't really want to bring this story, but you can't not. It's a horrible, shocking, damning report, which came out yesterday afternoon after we'd been off-air for a few hours, uh, you and I on uh, Locked and Loaded, and and after the UK arm of TNT uh, was ceasing to broadcast, but it's a horrible story about the Metropolitan Police at a time when you could argue their standing has never been lower. I mean, last year there were so many convictions for gross misconduct from officers within the Metropolitan Police, you know, uh, sexual assaults, rape, uh, pornography, misogynistic messages, you name it. Um, The list seemingly endless of corrupt officers. Um, but the Britain's biggest police force in association with Scotland Yard, that's where the met operate from have been accused today or yesterday of um, victim blaming very young children, often who are in care, who are uh, preyed upon by grooming gangs and predatory adults. Um, some of the kids are as young as 12 Um, instead of looking at the behavior of the adults or the grooming gangs uh, police in london are routinely routinely blaming the children saying that they are um, seeking out the behavior of adults seeking out the company of adults and what happens is then their choice now we're talking with kids of 12 to 15 years old here sometimes, I'm not going to go into the actual specific details of some of the the incidents that have happened on the Met Police's watch with regard to very young children and exploitation because they're too graphic. To go into here um but what what has been said in this report is that officers don't understand the scale and problem of child sexual exploitation and criminal child sexual exploitation in the capital uh, they turn a blind eye when children go missing often from care homes these are extremely vulnerable children officers just say oh they'll turn up they'll turn up. They don't even bother to investigate. And when they're approached by concerned parents, say, my child's gone missing, or I think my child's at risk of grooming, they fob the parents off. Um, they pass uh, case files around to other officers. Nobody really investigates properly. Children's details aren't entered properly into the computer. There's just a complete indifference um, to what is going on on the streets of London with regard to child sex- sexual exploitation. Now, this report was commissioned by His Majesty's Inspectorate of Police, Fire and Rescue Services was pretty much the top of the tree when it comes to investigating our forces and our our public bodies in the country. And it is absolutely, absolutely damning. Now at a a time when the confidence in the police in the UK as a whole, is at an all-time low. And you and I discussed only this week. I think it was the uh, deaths in police custody story. That was either mm-hmm. this week or last week. Time mm-hmm. does fly this here. Week. Um, mm-hmm. It was this week, wasn't it? And we yep. discussed between ourselves. You know, is this indicative of the type of people now joining the police force, or does the police force train empathy and compassion out of you? So when you get a story of a missing child, you you just brush it to one side. Oh, they'll turn up. Don't worry about it. Um, they the the report kind of says. The, the fault is that the officers aren't trained enough to understand the link between missing children and then child sex exploitation. They're not joining the dots. You know, if a child goes missing, are they being used on the streets mm-hmm. for, for sex and, and being pimped out? That's what they're saying. And more training needs to be done. Um, but some of the words of, like, it's the child's choice. I mean, it's never the child's choice, no No. child's choosing this, these children are vulnerable. Um, The NSPCC, the National Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children in the UK, said this is extremely concerning. The report makes 11 recommendations for change. Unsurprisingly, the Metropolitan Police have just come out and said, we're sorry, because there's nothing else you can say in the face of some of the evidence in the report. It's really graphic. Um, They said they've let families in London down, they're doing everything they can to redress the balance and they're going to retrain their officers. Now, you can have as many training programs as you want, Rick, but if that's the culture and it's very endemic, it seems, within Mm -hmm. the Met Force, yeah, you can do a training course. Is it going to change your mind? Is it going to change your thoughts or is the behavior going to continue? I'll I'll leave that to you.
1: Uh, I, I, and the other thing, the point that you made as well about, you know, our empathetic and compassionate people coming in and they're getting that trained out of them. I don't think that's the case either, because if, you, if you're if you empathetic towards people, you know, it's not something that you can undo, you know, it's an innate thing within you. It's something that draws you towards people that are vulnerable. You want to try and help them out. No matter if you're told not to do it, you're going to feel this urge to do it anyway. And this excuse uh, about uh, the children were seeking uh, adult company out of they were doing this, there's never an excuse for child abuse, okay? There's a legal age of consent there and it's there for a reason. And if you're interfering or having relations with a child that's under the legal age of consent, okay? It's against the law. It doesn't matter if, you, oh, the child came looking for this and the child was drunk. It's a child, okay? You're supposed to protect children, okay? You're supposed to protect them and prosecute those that are abusing them. And yet we have this dismissive culture here uh, looking for a way to blame everybody except the perpetrators of these horrendous crimes that are being carried out against these poor, uh, vulnerable children. And and they're repeatedly abused in many, many cases. These are not um, one-off scenarios here that we're talking about either, Gemma. These are systematic abuse cases that happen over very, very long periods of time, usually involving a lot of people. Uh, not just individuals so horrendous altogether but again shining a light on the feelings the multiple feelings uh, of the Metropolitan Police an organization that certainly does not look like it's fit for purpose given the stories that we've been covering on it recently Oh, hell's bells. What a way to round off the week that one is. But you got to tell it. how it is. That's what we're all about here. Lighting the fuse for freedom and all that on the TNT. So thank you, Gemma, as always, for your input. Uh, I know you'll be back for another uh, stint with James after this show here. But I hope you have a good weekend and uh, we'll reconvene on Monday. Ready to do it all again here live and exclusive on TNT. Today's news talk.
0: Sonia
2: You feel the need to describe yourself along with being a useless eater free speech isn't a phobia as a male with a penis why would you feel the need to describe yourself as such?
3: Well you never know these days do you? Anyone can have a penis apparently so I just thought you better make sure everybody knows
2: and that, and that is the reality, isn't it? Words have lost all meaning. And one of the things that I wanted you to come on and come and join me about and comment about is the whole issue of gender and transgenderism. Are you cis, Jack?
3: No. There's no such thing. There was there was literally no such thing until a couple of years ago. And it's, it's their religion, it's not mine. And I refuse to get involved
0: with this sort of terminology. It's ridiculous. Sonia Poulton on today's News Talk TNT.
4: When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at
0: joinifall.org. Today's News Talk Radio.
4: Come
5: on, let the man talk.
0: We never censor our hosts. Good. Now talk. Uncensored News. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT.
1: Okay, I'm joined for the first time here today on Locked and Loaded on TNT by uh, Harry Wilkinson. Harry is the head of policy at Net Zero Watch, which which is an excellent uh, page that you can follow, especially on the X platform, one that I've dipped into time and time again at Net Zero Watch. It's a campaign to highlight the serious economic and societal implications of expensive and poorly considered climate and energy policies. Uh, Welcome to the show this morning, Harry. How are you doing?
3: Good morning. Thank you very much for having me
1: it's a pleasure. Uh, Some of the things that we're going to talk about this morning, uh, I've been trying to cover them on and off since I've been on TNT over the last two years. You know, you have the lack of uh, green policies and uh, climate ideologies that are being thrust upon the public and for a time it seemed like they were taking hold and biting, but I think they're starting to uh, crack a little and they're coming apart a little bit at the seams as people realise, hang on a minute, this should be a choice that I have if I want to go down the green route. I shouldn't be put in a headlock and dragged down that road against my will.
3: That's right. We saw all these commitments to net zero from governments around the world, all this level of ambition to impress maybe the fellow world leaders at the COP conferences and various international forums. But what there wasn't was a, a sense of realism. Could these targets actually be achieved? What would their impacts be? Uh, on ordinary people that wasn't thought through and anyone questioning that anyone thinking hang on a minute maybe this is going to be expensive maybe this is going to hit uh, put the poorest people hardest those people were marginalized demonized um, and we see that time and time again but the sort of the situation is unraveling the ev transition isn't going as fast as uh, it would have been liked uh, we're seeing many countries around the world to, uh, continue to use fossil fuels We see increasingly climate conferences uh, breaking down with lots of tensions between different uh, countries. So we're in a much more volatile situation now. I think there's a lot more uh, resistance to certain uh, net zero policies Um, and that's all all playing out. I mean, we saw the Labour Party just go back on its 28 billion pound pledge. You know, not many people knew what this money was even for but uh, it was a a Keystone Green pledge that's now uh, been reversed. So uh, the the debate is changing fast and uh, it will be interesting to see uh, if if a party can develop an agenda uh, which still deals with the environment. This isn't about saying we don't want to tackle climate change at all, but actually doing so in a way that protects jobs, that keeps the cost of energy down. That's what we would like to see.
1: Yeah, there's uh, one case in particular that uh, I think you want to discuss or we want to dig into in a little bit of detail here. Uh, Tory politicians are revolting against the Prime Minister's plans to roll out heat pumps across the country, replacing gas boilers. So again, you know, if you want to replace your gas boiler with a heat pump, you should be free to do that. There might even be some subsidies there to encourage you to do that. But this whole mentality uh harry of forcing people down certain routes i think that's where they're really going to come undone with these green policies because there are people that want to install solar panels and rely on renewable energy and they want to drive evs and if that's the case you should be free to do that in a free society but i think the where they've really hit a speed bump with this one is this mentality that they're forcing people you will do without an internal combustion engine car by 2030 there will be no more on sale we want to try and make it as miserable for you as possible if you drive a diesel car, I think their overreach could well be their undoing. Hmm.
3: Well, you've hit the nail on the head there. This has never been about heat pumps good, heat pumps bad. Hmm. Uh, this is about giving people choice and not forcing them down a route that could be very expensive for them in particular. You know what there hasn't been with these policies uh, is a reflection that you know certain people uh, will have a very high burden. How do we protect? Uh, those people, this clean heat market mechanism uh, was a plan to have a fixed percentage um, of boiler installations each year would have to be heat pumps and that percentage was going to rise each year and boiler manufacturers that didn't hit the targets uh, would then have to pay big fines of £3,000 per uh, heat pump and not installed. Uh, and that was going to add a big cost onto people buying gas boilers, £150 mm-hmm. per, per gas boiler just in the first year, and, and that would have escalated further. But I think you know the government's getting a sense that many of its backbenchers are uncomfortable with this. They've seemingly announced at the weekend, although it's yet to be confirmed, that this policy has been scrapped, and if that was the case, this would be really excellent news. But let's remember the £7,500 grants for people to get heat pumps already. So there's enormous incentive that already exists. If people, even after essentially being bribed to get these things, still aren't buying them, that tells you more about the technology uh, you know, than it does about what, what should make good a good policy to promote them. So it does. The seemingly listening, uh, and that's a good thing, but there seems to be a green backlash. We have Graham Stewart, who's the climate minister, threatening to resign if this doesn't go through. So the drama might not be over yet. It uh, may cause a consternation yet to come. Maybe there'll be a watering down of the policy. We'll have to see if that happens or whether it really will be scrapped altogether.
1: Uh, one of the things that we've seen uh, with whenever the, the 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 political parties have their tails between their legs, you know, they, they don't get what they want. They do tend to back off for a while, let people cool down and then come at things from a different angle. But I think uh, the fact that you've r- rightly highlighted there, even with a £7,500 uh, subsidy incentive, they literally uh, can't give these things away, which is very, very damning uh, going forward. I think they'll find it very, very difficult to resurrect this somewhere down the line and try and force it through uh, at a later date, Harry. So we've got to take a brief pause for some uh, news headlines. And when we come back, I want to look at uh, scapegoating, uh, you know, uh, the the unravelling of the EV dream. Uh, A lot of owners are in shock at the minute with insurance premiums, uh, taxing of the car, running costs of the car, replacement batteries. So they're trying to blame Rowan Atkinson and all this for his comments that he's been making on EV ownership. Uh, We'll dig into that in a little bit more detail when we come back here on TNT. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
6: Here's a little news
1: flash. TNT Radio News.
6: Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Tucker Carlson has released his full two-hour interview with Russian President Vladimir Putin. We'll bring you highlights throughout the day. The US Senate has advanced a $95 billion funding bill for Ukraine and Israel after border security measures were stripped out. And according to the Washington Post, Ukraine's front line could soon be about to collapse due to a critical shortage of soldiers.
0: Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's news talk, TNT Radio.
1: Okay, talking with uh, Harry Wilkinson here from Net Zero Watch. Uh, talking now about EVs, uh, something that we've discussed an awful lot here on Locked and Loaded over the last few years. Last week, it was, I think, I uh, had a guy on called Jeff Buys Cars. Jeff Thompson, he has a really big YouTube channel. He's an unavoid petrol head, Harry. Uh, however, he took a Tesla out for an extended test drive, made a very detailed 55 minute video uploaded it onto YouTube to say okay you know what I love my petrol cars I'm not against electric vehicles I just don't want to be forced to drive one so I'm going to take one out and I'm going to give you a warts and all summary of it and you know his findings uh, were very very telling and I think they reflect bubbles bursting over people that were sold a, a green car dream versus the reality of running these EVs you know charging anxiety range anxiety charging rage you can't find ports for it Uh, cold-weather startups uh, damage the battery. You could be out 20,000 quid. Insurance premiums going up through the roof. These are just a few things that people are discovering, and yet they're trying to blame Rowan Atkinson, the Mr. Bean actor. He's now being blamed for slow EV car sales. Is it his fault? Is he responsible for taking the wheels off the EV market, or is the, the reality, the harsh reality, of EV ownership actually now coming to bite their owners?
3: Well, I think Rowan Atkinson's experience was just reflective of many, many uh, owners of electric vehicles. You know, the motor car is at the heart of the economy, it's at the heart of people's welfare, it's how they get to work, it's how they visit their families, how they go out and have fun. You know, getting people affordable uh, access to transport is something that governments should be focusing on. And yet it seems like in this country, at least, it's going backwards, all forms of uh, transport seem to be getting more expensive that means people can't afford to find jobs in the places that they would like to uh, and, and the dream of car ownership for many people in the future seems to be dying and, and uh, the EV transition seems to be a big part of that and what's particularly sinister with this story is you have a House of Lords committee saying just because he was voicing this personal experience of an EV uh, he had He said there were positives, there were also drawbacks, and maybe the environmental uh, sort of uh, pedigree of the electric vehicles wasn't as good as he first thought. When you think of things like uh, rare earth metal mining in China, uh, cobalt mining in the Congo, you know, there are many ethical and environmental concerns when it comes to EVs, and those should be discussed and debated. You know, CO2 is one environmental consideration where maybe EVs have the upper hand. But there's a whole bigger picture uh, to the whole story. And, and the fact that these lords want to stop people from being able to discuss these things is very sinister. They've decided this is just what's happening. Everyone's getting EVs uh, and you're just going to have to accept that. And uh, we see, particularly with the establishment, the centre-left establishment, if you like, an increasing authoritarianism and increasing... Uh, um, Uncomfortability that they have With people disagreeing with them You know, they have a case They're very welcome to make it I want to hear what their arguments are But they don't seem to want to listen to What we have to say They just want to uh, shut us down
1: Yeah, they do. Uh, Here's the thing as well, Harry. uh, When you buy an EV, it's obviously a a big expense. They're not cheap to buy these things. And when Jeff Thompson from Jeff Buys Cars uh, was talking with me last week, he said one of the the, the telltale signs that the bubble could be bursting in that market is the residual values of these cars is dropping really, really sharply. So there's a really heavy depreciation in EVs. They're really not holding their value. Uh, And there's a lot of used EVs sitting on uh, forecourts. They're not being sold on. People aren't buying them up uh, secondhand as well. As well as that, if you factor in things like insurance renewals, um, I mean, I don't know about you, but most people that I talk to at the minute when they've had their annual insurance premium in over the last few months, it's really went up quite significantly. And that's just for petrol cars, that's for diesel cars. Partly it's because of a shortage of spare parts and one thing and another, and they can't get courtesy cars to put people in after accidents but EV owners uh, are getting a real shock. In some cases, uh, they're being quoted uh, multiple thousands of pounds, uh, up from hundreds of pounds uh, to renew their premiums. It's almost as if some insurance companies don't actually want the business, so they're trying to discourage people from renewing by putting the premiums up through the roof.
3: Well, you you do worry about the supply chains here because many companies have taken executive decisions that they're moving to EVs, that their supply chains are gonna be reorientated towards the servicing and production of, of EVs. And that decision has been taken without actually you know, consulting consumers and just assuming that they would adapt to the changes. You know, what we've seen in Europe is a, a hugely successful car industry um, <clears throat> that's in meltdown because they've decided to produce cars that ultimately people don't want to buy as much. That's why we see this huge depreciation in value, because there isn't the demand uh, for people to buy these secondhand uh, EVs. That should be telling policymakers that there's maybe somewhere to go here, some distance before we can start insisting, as the government has done, that uh, people will have to buy EVs up to 80% by 2030. That's a terrifying ramp up. And so it suggests that the situation uh, is, is only going to get worse.
1: Uh-huh. I, I can't see them possibly uh, hitting that target of 80% sales by 2030, given that the market's already st- stuttering a little bit, and it seems to be going into decline with these residual figures. It's a little bit like the heat pumps. You were uh, rightly pointing out that even with a £7,500 subsidy there, people still aren't taking them up. I think even if they threw subsidies at these EVs to get people to buy them, the, the horror stories and the, you know, the dissatisfaction stories are coming out. More and more of people that have transitioned over to EVs that are not having a particularly good experience. However, having said that, I know there's a lot of happy EV owners out there too, which is great, and if that's your thing, then you know you crack on with it. But I think the bubble really is bursting. Just as we wrap this one up, there's another post uh, that you, uh, that's you that been put up here on Net Zero Watch. And if please, if you don't do so, follow them uh, on X at Net Zero Watch, at Net Zero Watch. And they also have a website at netzerowatch.com. Uh, the statement is made more honesty in the public debate and realism in making is urgently needed, uh, says Robert Jenrick. As we've seen across Europe, the public public are sick of systematic dishonesty by the political class about what net zero entails that's another problem here there's been a complete lack of public consultation there's been a complete lack of honesty and I think that's also contributing to the kickback that we're currently seeing against these uh, mad and radical net zero policies what do you say to that just
3: as we uh, wrap this up well it's great to see more and more politicians coming out uh, <clears throat> with that honesty that they hadn't actually been honest in the past about what net zero meant. This happened also quickly. And in, in the context of the UK, we had a Brexit debate going on at the time uh, when net zero was brought in. So Parliament was distracted and it's never really uh, dealt with uh, the in- policy implications properly. It's never really had that inquiry into the costs. It's never really uh, had the level of scrutiny that you would expect such an enormous policy. This has become perhaps. The, the most significant element of, of UK government policy making. So, but yeah. people are, are starting to stand up, they're starting to realise. Uh, and so I think we're, we're moving in a more positive direction.
1: Yeah, I would uh, absolutely agree with that. And it can be frustrating sometimes when you're trying to get the message out there and you feel like maybe uh, you're preaching to the converted or you're singing to the choir or your uh, message falls in deaf ears. But I think uh, we're seeing at the minute Positive results here, and I'm sure it's encouraging for you and the rest of the guys and girls at Net Zero Watch to keep up the pressure because that's what we need. We need relentless pressure on our side to combat the relentless pressure on their side. And you know, when the irresistible force meets the immovable object, you know, there's always going to be, uh you know, a lot of kinetic energy uh, displaced at that point. So I think that's what we're starting to see now. So big thanks to you, Harry Wilkinson, uh, for joining us here mm-hmm. this morning. Ho- hopefully, we'll get. Uh, uh, we'll stay in touch and certainly over the course of this year as more things begin to unravel we can get your unique take on it courtesy of net zero watch so thank you to you harry and i hope you have an absolutely great weekend uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you got to take a break right now and then i'll be ushering in the one and only johnny weissman from all the risks uh we're going to be talking uh inquiries reviews shenanigans and skullduggery to round off the week here on tnt today's news talk
0: with his expert analysis and opinion
1: this is tnt radio's timothy shea
5: what a dink! nikki haley had a record fundraising month in january january ended last wednesday and last wednesday was the day that nikki was in miami beach meeting with a democrat billionaire mega donor i'm sure those three things had nothing to do with each other right tell you something else that has nothing to do with anything And that's Democrat politicians with R's after their name, like Nikki, like Chris Christie, like Lindsey Graham, like Mitt Romney, like Liz Cheney, Adam Kinziger, you know the type, and Republican values. And yet all of them claim that they are in politics to preserve and uphold Republican values. Now, if you want genuine Republican values, you've got to look at Donald Trump, at the America First agenda. You've got to look at what make America great again really means. It means a rising tide lifts all boats. It means prosperity for regular work people, not just elites whose values are more in line with Davos than with those in the Dakotas. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea. For today's news talk, TNT.
4: The next time you think you can illegally handle your mobile phone while driving and get away with it, think again. Phone detection cameras are in operation on New South Wales roads. Hello. So if you're driving and illegally handle your mobile phone,
0: you can stop it or cop it. You're with Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio.
1: TNT okay we're almost there 19 minutes of magic left before i depart off into the real world for the weekend and i'm very happy to spend the next 19 minutes in conversation with my old sparring partner from all the risks the one and only jonathan weisman you can follow him on the x platform or twitter call it whatever you want at all the risks and also he has a website alltherisks.com where all his information research and musings on what's going on in the world can be found there Jonathan, how are you today?
6: Doing really well, Rick. As always, pleasure and a delight to be here. And um, hey, everyone listening at TNT Radio.
1: You know what? I was just reminiscing uh, before you came on. I was telling people about Jonathan Weissman, and you've been here literally since week one of my broadcasting career. And it's always a Friday. I'm almost sure you've never been on any day other than a Friday. You're like Trevor John. He's another guy. Get on on Friday. Parallel Mike. Friday people of Wednesday people of Thursday people. Why do you think you're a Friday guy? Is that just the way it fell?
6: Well, it reminds me of being in school, so my surname starts with a W, so I was always at the end of the register, so something about being at the end, Uh, maybe that's just the pattern it had to be, but no, it's been brilliant, Rick, the last year, two years even, on the radio, um, just a massive thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak out when so many other avenues closed down on us, and I was reflecting this week, actually, that there are folks who, um, who are out there who have very, very similar views to what we're saying and do actually come and listen in to our conversations and are taking an interest. They just haven't yet found their voice to come and, and speak the same way we're speaking. So really what you've done is you've given um, a voice to what was being suppressed. And personally, that means a lot to me. So massive thank you
1: well you're very very welcome of course you give up your time and uh, impart all the research that you've been doing in your own time uh, here for the benefit of our listeners so for that we're also grateful as well but more importantly uh, it hasn't just stopped with the two of us Uh, the the net has expanded a little bit and for example i want to look a little bit about one of the groups that you're involved in and i've been fortunate enough to talk to the members of as well which is the VIBS uh, NI group which is the vaccine injured and bereaved support group for northern ireland Uh, they have a website VIBS high and ni.co.uk, uh, they're pushing relentlessly on, as are you, to try and get uh, acknowledgement that there are a lot of people out there who have been injured and killed as a result of the COVID shots, and they're simply trying to make their voices heard to the wider public and to the people that make the decisions for people's health in Northern Ireland. But unfortunately, uh, they're coming up against uh, obstacles and they're hitting brick walls in some cases here. Can you give us a little bit of an update uh, on what's going on with VIBS in terms of securing uh, a day in Stormont, which is the the parliament or the government here in Northern Ireland. They need a nationalist uh, to back them because of the way politics work over here. You need a unionist and a nationalist uh, thumbs up. They've got the thumbs up from the DUP, but uh, still
6: unsuccessful in getting the nationalist uh, the nationalist backing or what? That's the case, yeah. So there has been obviously one significant step change, which everyone locally would know, which is that the devolved government, which is called Stormont, which meets just outside Belfast, has just now um, started to reconvene as of last Saturday. So there is an opportunity now on the Assembly floor for uh, those politicians who are supportive and who are speaking out to put more pressure onto the um Uh, nationalist politicians who won't sign up so for example i'm thinking of uh, folks like jim shannon who um, is an mp and recently um, joined angie bridgen with some other DEP mps um, in an event just outside them one of the parliament buildings basically just not the main house of commons but one of the other buildings and he said look he's been vaccinated and he said he's Lost his mother to COVID, things like that, and nevertheless, he's starting to be contacted by constituents and by concerned residents who've been vaccine injured or are advocates. So that's the kind of thing that our group would do, which would be to try to meet with the politicians, try to build those relationships up, try to convey the frustrations and concerns of the uh, those who've been injured, and um, and then ultimately put pressure on, whether that's in the uh, political sphere or even just on social media, which is another component. To the strategy i suppose we've all being quite well practiced the last couple of years in using social media as a way to kind of counterattack, as a way to make our point known and also to mm-hmm. apply some pressure and i suppose that's something that i can really relate to because what i felt i had to do within the context of the church my goal and my fight was always the vaccine in particular and yep. i was against the other things but that was my fight i felt i really had to come down very hard with a lot of data and um a very full and complete picture to try to shut up people literally shut them up who didn't know what they were talking about who were extolling something they didn't understand so it was a form of placing pressure on people and that's really the same thing our group's doing in a slightly different way now our goal here is to have um a signature so that we can have our event now that Stormont's back and running we don't have that right now so we're prepared to use social media to alert people to what um people what these politicians are doing by blocking this event and the impact that will have on the people we support so i think it's just a a, a tool that we've all had to learn to use the last few years
1: do you think uh do you think the the reconvening of storm uh you know obviously it should give you a little bit of optimism because they're actually sitting in the place that they're supposed to be sitting and doing the jobs that they've been paid to do. While they've been off offline, as it were, from their uh, government jobs, uh, it could have been a little bit harder to keep them under accountability, maybe, because they're literally lurking around in constituency offices. But now that they actually meet there uh, at Stormont and, and Dundonald, uh, you know, periodically, uh, do you think it could help the cause a little bit more? Uh, you could, uh, how would you say, shine the light on the lack of cooperation of, for example, you know, Sinn Féin or the SD to get you that voice heard? Or do you think uh, they'll, they'll keep doing the dance? Uh, they'll keep dancing around this
6: issue? But well, it seems to be policy for some of these parties to, to not sign up for it, not co-sign. And I suppose maybe it's those parties who are more closely aligned with globalist ideas and ideals coming from these large organizations and think tanks and so forth. So based on that, what we can really hope for, I suppose, is those politicians, and there's a growing number of them who are not necessarily core members of our team, not necessarily have exactly the same opinions. Maybe they don't think that the vaccines are all bad, but they have now come to the understanding, which is a growing position, even amongst the society in general, that people have been severely injured, that there is no doubt about this and that they're not receiving support. And they can't justify that because they represent their constituents and they're not prepared to... I brush that one under the carpet. And I always kind of felt that once the lockdowns and other uh, mitigation measures, so-called, would be put aside, which they have been, so mandatory masking, lockdowns and so forth, once the pressure was off and there's no threat of the vaccine passport, if we then restate our case with the increased amount of data, at that point, you have to be pretty hard-hearted to then shut your eyes and ears and say it's not happening because, Mm-hmm. some people they just folded under the pressure they just felt they had to go along with it that's why it's very important that we continue to make the case now um you know when you look historically at how long it can take to get justice and get the truth out there it can take mm-hmm. years and decades so i gave the speech at the launch event for vibs and i at the, at the uh, europa hotel and i just used the theme of whistleblowing and the reason i did that is i showed that when you look at what happened with Viox and how that came out through um, a very faithful epidemiologist who battled away in the journals and was slandered by FDA, it took if the period of years, and that was basically just one man. So imagine with something of this scale, it's going to take some time and and, and it's not that we should just move on as well, because we could talk about this, but there's still plans in the pipeline, as people may know, to bring the next vaccine out, disease mm-hmm. X the military research or um, military funded research and so on. And what's going on at Porton down with the Ministry of Defence and all this kind of stuff. So so this will happen again. Um, They want to accelerate their timeline. That's being driven by the likes of CEPI. And this this thing is all so centrally funded. It's bringing the private and the public together with huge amounts of funding. It's really just the greatest uh, funding opportunity. I was looking at CEPI's website just before this interview. And they basically market the opportunity to prepare for the next pandemic with an emergency vaccine uh, with the case for investment. In other words, saying, hey, this is guaranteed investment. So that's a little bit suspicious, some of us might think. So this paradigm will replay again. It will come again. I don't even rule out that it will simply be COVID again, as I've shared that many, many times. Hmm. So.
1: Here's the, here's something that, that disheartened me a little bit this week. Uh, whenever they did reconvene, uh, storm it again together, the health minister position was filled again by the nemesis of the, the Irish Health Service or the Northern Irish Health Service, Robin Swan, and the justice minister, so-called justice minister, was filled again by Naomi Long from the Alliance Party. And if you're from Northern Ireland or the north of Ireland uh, and you were experiencing, uh, you know, Oppression and demonization and vilification during the COVID scandemic years, Swan and Long were instrumental in doing that. Robin Swan was banging on about deaths of biblical proportions uh, where we're all going to die. You shouldn't go out of the house. Naomi Long at one point uh, in terms of face masking was saying there is no excuse for not to wear a face mask. It doesn't matter if you've been traumatised maybe by a rape uh, case where the, the, the perpetrator's been wearing a mask or, you know, the history of masks and masked men killing people in Northern Ireland goes back from 1969 up to 1994 and beyond. That seemed to be shoved out of the way. I remember one Christmas she was advocating that unless you have a signed letter by a doctor, you must be masked up at all cases and was completely unrepentant about that, that sent the shiver down my spine whenever I seen them pair of goons back in office uh, up and storm What about Jay? You? What's your take on it?
6: Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it proves that on the one hand, we, we pointed to the fact that some politicians who are not exactly anti-vax, in fact, they'll come and qualify and say, I'm not anti-vax, but they are standing with the vaccine injured. So that's progress. And on the other hand, you see the opposite. You see what hasn't changed. So, yeah, in 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 the Alliance Party and the likes of the UUP, I don't think we're seeing as the Ulster Unionist Party that Robin Swann's mm-hmm. a member of um, and the, the health minister, as you, as you say, once again, I don't think we've seen a lot of movement there. In the sort of real centre of the mainstream, yeah, there's not been a lot of movement, even though there's always been interest in what we're saying. I, I think deep down they 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 know that we make some very strong points i'm i'm absolutely convinced of that um even in the very center of the mainstream i don't really think there's anywhere at this point who can avoid some of the things we're saying and the stories we're sharing because they're just uh unavoidable inescapable and undeniable frankly at the end of the day yeah. as far as um northern ireland goes that would be my biggest um surprise would be as somebody who's not from this place who only moved here several months before covid I thought that the people themselves would not put up with the face masks, and also with um, uh, discrimination as well. So the the way it went with the to the contrary, you know, one person called me and said, "Hey, you don't," because I was obviously taking the stance publicly against the the vaccines that you don't know the history of Northern Ireland and we've had a lot of division, as if I was adding to the division. So I think what you notice is when it comes to learning historical lessons people don't often learn the best lessons. And we, we know that because the media often paint people up as Nazis who are the total opposite. They're often like freedom fighters, you know, like in a genuine sense. I mean, they love freedom, not they take weapons. And yet they'll slander them as Nazis. And people just kind of go along with it. And they see people who are very interested in personal liberty and small government, and they'll just say they're Nazis. And then the people will just believe it. And they'll say that they're fascists and stuff. I just think, unfortunately, and it's very sad, it's a surprise to me. It's, it's not something I say lightly or say it easily because I know how much hard times people have experienced but but it does seem to me that 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 there was a failure to connect the past in a in a uh productive way with with the present events and surely the most important thing in a sense is is very important to think about the past sometimes and to try to um address those things but you you also have to think like what can you learn that is transferable it's like in the workplace we talk about transferable job skills right you want to think like based on what happened before what was wrong well if discrimination is wrong just discriminate against someone's housing or discriminate against someone's religion if that causes uh disin- disillusionment and people becoming disenfranchised then how can you allow that to start happening against a group of people who don't believe in wearing uh, a cloth over their face or taking some experiment it, you know that's a real shame to me so hopefully people will reflect on that at some point you would,
1: you would like to think so. Uh, one of the things that it seems to be governments are very good at at the moment is doubling down and dismissing things. Uh, last week, I think it was last week, you'll have probably seen Rishi Sunak uh, relishing at the, the, the ability to take to the podium in the House of Commons and reiterate that the COVID vaccines were in fact safe. Notice the word he dropped effective off there, but he still is adamant that these things are safe. We're seeing inquiries happening uh ireland uh, has been uh, clear the republic of ireland has been clear that any COVID investigation will not result in anybody being prosecuted because nobody did anything wrong in scotland we have Nicola sturgeon and uh, deleting whatsapp messages hand over fist and some of the language that she came out with uh, to describe various other politicians in the uk uh, during the the scandemic years it was colorful to say the least but you know she's not backing down from that and then in australia As well, uh, this week uh, it was uh, announced at the Australian Senate that they wouldn't be investigating excess deaths, that the information was out there for their... Equivalent of the Office of National Statistics, and it was in the public domain and it was in line with what they expected during the, the, the pandemic years. And there was nothing to be overly alarmed with. Other things are factoring in, like climate change and one thing and another. So, despite the fact that we've been trumpeting this uh, for now two years or longer, uh, even before TNT came on the air, you know, individually, it seems to be that it's almost like banging your head off a brick wall when it gets to this commission level or this investigation level level that some of them are even refusing to investigate it and the eyes have it, as it said in the Australian Senate. Are we investigating these excess deaths? No, we're not. Yes, we are. You know, it's crazy that they're dismissing something like that when they claim every death counts.
6: A very helpful way I came to hear about thinking about the excess deaths. I didn't share this and I'm afraid I don't know who did. But if we're seeing of the order of about a 10% sustained increase, which is approximately what we're seeing. My good friend Kathy Gray just showed me mm-hmm. some data tables. I think they're coming from NISRA in Northern Ireland, which is a statistics research agency. And it's showing approximately 10% there or thereabouts. If you think about, you know, say for example, you were a person who would know a lot of people, thousands of people, let's just say, and on average every year, 10 people die that you know. If there's a 10% increase, 11 people die. Mm -hmm. So if you're just an ordinary person who's not really clued in or tuned in, you're actually not going to notice a 10% increase because most people don't even know 10 people who die per year. So you see where this is going, right? It just looks like uh, nothing that can be discernible when you don't look at the bigger picture, when you don't, for example, look at um, vaccine status, when you don't look at the age demographic, this is being observed across all age demographics. So if, for example, it was confined purely to the to the very elderly then you could think about factors like weather factors like yeah. cost of living heating so on and so forth but you can't really do that when it's um, coming across different age groups and then the second thing i'd just commend everyone to do when we're still not facing as you say commission level justice is i just retweeted dr david cartland's seven and a half minute video from a hospital and it's just excellent he's just saying this is very concerning as well they're still seeing these new presentations of these mm. conditions that are not to be expected in younger age groups, people in their thirties, for example, cancer, turbo cancer, um, blood mm. clots. I know of a case of pericarditis not that long ago, someone I know, and I don't think they just received a vaccine anytime recently. So again, it's that, um, effect of these, uh, adverse reactions happening a s- couple of years later, which may be coming to the fore. So very concerning, but yeah, do check out Dr. David Cartland's video on my um, Twitter account. It's worth watching.
1: Yep which is all the risks at all the risks and of course uh Johnson's website alltherisks.com has all the information and research that he's been doing and you know what uh, it's not just Doctors are saying that things are amiss. Undertakers are going on about fibrous clots. Undertakers are getting real good business at the minute. I'm sorry to say, but I've been taken to checking my the the, the legendary Undertaker for the last place that I lived, the time that I was born and grew up. And I'm checking once a month now. The death notices there. And I'm sorry to say this, it's a little bit morbid, but there's a huge spike, especially in young people dying. Some of them uh, I knew. I'm not a young man like you, Jonathan. I'm in my 50s now, or heading into my 50s. Uh, Thank God I'm not as old as Murray in the studio there. He's uh, approaching 75. But you know, we all sit somewhere on that age spectrum, but we've got to be aware of this stuff. We've got to understand what all the risks are. And Jonathan, just like that, just like that, Time is gone. Time is gone for another month. But massive thanks to you uh, for beaming in this morning uh, and lending us uh, your expertise and the results of your research and your opinions on this very important issue. I'm Rick Munn. This is TNT. James Freeman is coming on next on The Freeman Report. Stay tuned for more magic here on the one and only TNT. Today's News Talk.